0: On May 1st, 1960, uh, a a pilot, Francis Gary Powers, was given a mission. And his mission was to fly a U-2 spy plane from a military base in Pakistan, 70,000 feet over the Soviet Union. Now, what the U.S. did not realize was at that time, the Soviets had developed a special missile, a surface-to-air missile. And they were able to shoot down Powers' plane. He ejected from his plane but ended up being captured and sentenced to three years in prison, seven years of hard labor for espionage. He served two years before the U.S. was able to broker a deal in which a a prisoner swap was made for a KGB agent. And after his release, uh, Powers went on to pilot a series of the world's most dangerous experimental aircrafts. After that, he became a test pilot, and then he finally ended up becoming a helicopter traffic reporter. While he was doing that job as a, working for a Los Angeles TV station, he crashed his helicopter due to a small malfunction. He ran out of gas. Now think about this. Here's someone who survived a U-2 plane crash, two years of prisoner of war camp, thousands of experimental flights, and went down all because he chose to run on empty. I think you and I know that running on empty is a terrible strategy. It's a terrible strategy for life. It's a terrible strategy for flying. It's a terrible strategy for faith development. Yet all of us have experienced it, haven't we? All of us have been in in positions in which our faith feels like we're running on empty and we continue to grind it out. We continue to push harder, even though it feels like the, the life, the power is, is draining out of us. It feels as if the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, that the, the idea of that first love we had for God is somehow, it, it, it's a distant memory. All of us know what it's like to, to run on empty. All of us know it's a terrible strategy uh, to live by. And yet, we do it all the time. So, how do we break free from that? How do we fill our, our lives back up? What is it that the very first Christians did to go from such a powerful beginning? How did they continue to keep their lives full of the presence and the power? of God. And this is what we want to look at today is to think about the unique ways that the the first Christians, having experienced this amazing presence of God and power of God in their life, began to respond to it. And as they responded to it, began to see God do amazing things. And this brings us to our, our big idea for today. Uh, An idea we want to explore and and, uh, uh, break open and and understand it in much deeper ways. But if we could put our sermon in a sentence, maybe we'd say this. That God does amazing things through a devoted church. And we see this in the book of Acts. That this very first group of 120, in their very first sermon, grew from 120 to 3,120 that was a big job now for these leaders to to begin to develop this this new church, these new Christians. How was it going to how are you going to take these people from this incredible experience of what we saw last week? The pouring out of God's spirit, this miraculous work of of hearing the gospel in their languages and seeing uh, the power of God on display. How do they continue to fill their lives with the presence and power of God? What is it that God does through a a devoted church? What kinds of amazing things does God do? Well, to see this, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's pick up where we left off last week. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And uh, page 1092, the Bible's in front of you. Now, as we're about to look at this, it's very interesting. In fact, Acts does this about eight different times in the book of Acts. We get kind of a portrait of the church. And so what we've seen up to this point is we have these, these incredible kind of actions uh, photos. Uh, this, almost like these, these, these highlight reels of power of, of all these things that are happening. And now we have this moment in which Luke kind of pauses and we get a, we get a portrait painted of what the first church looked like. And many people talk about, boy, if, if our church could just look like this church. And, and, and there's something very real and true about this. There's some exciting things, as we'll see in the book of Acts, though, as we continue to read. Every church has challenges. Every church has problems. As good as this picture looks, every church, including these folks, have their challenges. But what was it that they did to develop and become more devoted to Christ? Let's read Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, as we begin to look at this portrait, one of the things that we see is this, this wonderful kind of cycle that's developing. So God has poured out his presence and power on the people. and What we see is a response of the people. As God shows his devotion to them, we see that the people respond and they respond with a devotion of their own. And as they respond with devotion, as they position themselves more and more to, to receive God's power and God's presence, that's exactly what, what happens. Out of that, they begin to encounter uh, more and more of God's presence and power in their lives. You see this, that there are miracles being performed. Then there's awe, there's joy and praise. There's favor among the people. In fact, look at verse 47. It is the Lord who's adding to their number daily. And so what we see is this, this wonderful act of devotion, these, devo- these devotional acts that we see of these first uh, believers, really is all about a response to the devotion they had first experienced. I love in, in uh, Corey and Leanna's prayer for their daughter Addie, uh, the last line is this, May you always know that you were wished for, longed for, prayed for, and always wanted. A wonderful message for parents to share uh, with their children, to know that we've always longed for you, prayed for you, wanted you. And and, and you have to understand that there's something about these, these first Christians that their experience was, they began to understand more and more the devotion of God in their own life. They began to understand that they were wished for, longed for, prayed for. That that all that God's what they were experiencing was the power and presence of, of God's faithfulness. That everything that had been spoken of, all the scriptures, had been leading up to that moment, and they're encountering the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God, the faithfulness of God to do exactly what He had said He would do. And as they experience these things, they're responding in these acts of devotion. Not so that they will earn favor, but because they've already encountered it and experienced it. And now they're positioning their lives that they might encounter it more and more. And notice what happens as they do. They encounter more and more of God's presence, God's power. And so what I want you to see in some ways is that as we, we look at these acts of devotion, that we don't do these things so that... God will put on display his love and affection. We do that because he has put on a display of his love and affection. Because we begin to to realize more and more that our hearts are resonating with the fact that we were longed for, prayed for, wanted from the very beginning. So how did they position their lives? What was it that they began to search for? What were they devoted to? We see the first thing was they were devoted to being teachable. They devoted themselves to being teachable. This was a learning church. And we see as they, they put themselves in a position to learn under the apostles' teaching. I, I think it's wonderful that we see from the very beginning, despite all the mystical experiences, all the miraculous experiences, that this wasn't just purely a, a, an experiential church, that they put themselves under the teaching. And that the, the authority of scripture in their lives, That see, the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. And they had submitted themselves to the word of God. And, and think about this. The, the disciples had spent all this time being developed and trained by Jesus. And remember what Jesus' words to them were. Go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them. And then he said, teach them to obey all I've commanded. And, and when he says teach them to obey, what is he trying to teach them? He was teaching them about the kingdom. Teach them how to live. Teach them how to really find life, the life that God has always wanted for them. Teach them to not only know and be able to recite these things, teach them how to live out the plans that God has for them. And so this is what the, the apostles began to do. And I love the, the, what, what we learn about this is that Scripture has this powerful effect on us. In fact, Second Timothy tells us that Scripture teaches us how to think rightly about God and how to relearn, how to, how to reshape our worldview. G.K. Chesterton said that the chief object of education is not to learn things. No, the chief object of education is to unlearn things. And many of you have probably experienced that, haven't you? That in some way, the more and more as you got into scripture from the very beginning, not only did you start to learn things about God, but you started to unlearn things. In fact, you saw that your whole worldview started to shift and, and shape. And, and really, this is the calling, right? This is what the apostles were doing, was helping them change the worldview, change the lens. See things through the, ki- the lens of now the kingdom of God. And what God has been doing, what God is going to do. Live your life in light of this. And we, we learn that scripture has this ability to change the way we think and change the way that we act. In fact, it's interesting that one, uh, this, this massive study was done on how people grow. And, and it, it took in account thousands of Christians across all kinds of church backgrounds. And in this study, they came to this conclusion that the Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth. That the Bible's power to advance spiritual growth is unrivaled by anything else. Reflection on scripture is by far the most influential spiritual practice. You want to grow. You want to develop. We want to make sure you're not running on empty. Uh, You you learn from the first disciples. What they did is they they put themselves in a position to learn the word of God. And to have their worldview shaped by scripture. One author says this way. He says, for transformation to take place, you have to change your thinking. When you change your thinking, you change your beliefs. And when you change your beliefs, you change your expectations. When you change your expectations, you change your attitude. And when you change your attitude, you change your behavior. And when you change your behavior, you change your life. Now all of you who want to write that down, come up forward afterwards. and I'll just place it right there because it's a lot. But think about that. You got to change your life. You have to, it starts with changing your thinking, which means what voice are you listening to? What voices are speaking into you and shaping you to be the person you are? I had a chance this week to do some reading, and I was reading about this story of this experienced spelunker. You know, a spelunker, these guys that explore caves and caverns and such. And he invited his friend Danny to come with him, and he had this, this wonderful adventure planned. So Danny decided to come with him, even though he'd never done this before. And he said right from the very beginning, he got a little intimidated because as they entered in, as they began to explore this cave, that he found right away that he was finding himself kind of getting lower and lower and lower to uh, crouching. Then he was crawling on all fours. And then they got to this one place, he said, where the only way through was he had to lay on his back and place his arms to his side. And he had to push with his legs to get through. Now, as he began to push his way through, he realized he got to a spot where he got stuck. Every time he breathed, he couldn't, he couldn't move on. Now, those of you who are getting a little panicked right now, just breathe through it. It's going to be Okay. He'd get to this place, he realized every breath he took, he got stuck. And so he'd have, to, he'd have to take a breath, and as he'd breathe out, push with his legs. Take a breath, and breathe out, and push with his legs. Complete blackness, complete, uh, just t- nowhere to go. And he says, And I got to that moment, and I began to think to myself, I'm going to die here. And he's pa- he began to panic. He thought, I'm going to die in this cave. I can't go forward. I can't go back. I'm stuck. And at that moment, his friend called out to him. He said, Danny, this is really important. If you keep listening to those voices in your head, if you let your mind run wild, you will flip out. And if you flip out, you'll get stuck in this cave. And I want you to listen now. I want you to listen only to my voice. Danny, I've been through this. And I'm here right now, and I won't leave you. You can trust me. Danny, you can make it. You just have to keep listening every moment to my voice. And Danny died in that cave. No, just kidding. He, <laughs> he listened to his voice, and he, and he continued to push his way through. He said, when he got through to the other side, he listened to his voice, he got to the other side. He said, he, he saw things that just completely dazzled him things that you would, you would only see on television, things you'd only see in, in National Geographic. Or, and he said, you know, as he listened to that voice, see, Jesus says to us, listen to my voice, keep listening to my voice. Don't let doubt, don't let fear overwhelm you. Listen to my voice. You can trust me. I won't leave you. I've been through this. I'll get you through this. So what voices are you listening to? Now maybe one of the things that that we might ask is this. um, What are you doing to invest in your growth? Uh, what are you doing to invest in your ability to, to see the world through the lens of Scripture? And, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I was someone who, uh, the first time I read the Bible, I read it like I think a lot of people do. I just opened it up to page one and started going. Not really kind of knowing, read it like any other book. Not really understanding the unique treasure that we have here. This is 66 different books all working in, in, in this wonderful harmony together, all telling the story of God and I didn't quite understand how to, how to read scripture. And you may be in that place. And let me just say to you, uh, if you're in that place, two things. Number one, please never hesitate to ask me or any other uh, pastors on staff. Say, I'd love to read scripture more. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to do it. We will help you. We will give you a plan. We'll give you some, some advice of what to do. You can try some things out. Let me give you a second thing. If you haven't discovered it already, you need to discover it. Just go to Bible.com. Technology's crazy. Uh, And this is like an amazing app. You can have it on your phone, your tablet, everything. But you can have, I mean, there's countless translations and and, uh, devotional plans and things like that. But you can always have scripture uh, wherever you are. I listen to it in my car and and, and where I go. Everywhere I am, I have scripture with me. It's a tremendous gift uh, to be able to have. Check that out. So we see these first Christians were devoted uh, to being teachable and letting the voice of God, the scripture speak into their life. The spirit is a spirit of truth. But they were also devoted to being prayerful. This was a praying church, and we see this, don't we? We see that right away that their devotion was to being prayerful. and we see, we've seen it already. That from the very beginning, as they prepared for what was to come next, they they gathered together and they prayed. And what we'll continue to see through the book of Acts is that, as they find themselves with challenges and and things that come up uh, that they have to face, that they find themselves turning to prayer again and again and again. And the truth is, whatever it is that you expose yourself most to in life, that is going to shape the way that you think and feel and act. What are you fixing your eyes on? What are you centering your life on? And as we center our life on Christ, prayer becomes this wonderful gift that God has given us in which we find that we are not just simply bound to the earth, but God has given us this, inner, this, this gift in which heaven and earth intersect. And, and what we begin to see both in the people of Acts and what we, you can experience in your life is that, there's, that prayer becomes both intentional There's ways in which the the people came together and they prayed and prayer becomes very organic. It's something that you begin to discover that you, you never have to stop praying, that you're always in conversation with God. In fact, by the fourth century, the church leaders were trying to teach that to the people that prayer was conversation with God. And so as we begin to experience this this wonderful gift that God has given us, uh, we begin to understand, we see this, that that, uh, these amazing things that were happening because the people were prayerful. Why were they prayerful? Because they believed through prayer that they would encounter the presence of God. And they'd unleash the power of God in their life and in their community and in the world. And we have to pray with the same kind of expectation. Even sometimes when we don't feel that, we, we know that God has given us this gift. Jesus revolutionized prayer for them because he, when he tried to teach them about what prayer was, he started with this simple idea. Start praying differently. Start praying this way. Go to God as Father. Come to him as a child. Come to him again and again with the things that, that matter to you. He's listening. He's there for you. When they were prayerful, but they were also devoted to being united. They were devoted to being united. One of the things that we, we see is that this was a loving church. We miss a lot in our English translations because all throughout the New Testament, uh, we see these commands of what that will say, uh, you are to do this, uh, and especially this one another life. Uh, that we are to, to to do, you need to forgive one another, and all these kind of, and, and, and we see this mostly as a singular you. But a closer look, what we see all throughout the New Testament is that it is a plural, it, it, probably a better English uh, translation would be y'all. Y'all should do this, because it really is you all. It's a plural idea it, it, that we are not designed to be doing faith on our own. We're designed to be doing it together, and we see these first Christians their life is devoted to each other. They're gathering together in fellowship. They're joined together with shared lives. They're making sacrifices for each other. There's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone, if you want to go far, go together. One of the great examples of that comes from the 2000 uh, Sydney Games, the Olympic Games, and and in the 2000 Games, the uh, one of the swimming events, they introduced some of the developing nations that never participated to be a part of this, and so it was very interesting. In one of the events, uh, the the uh, 100 meters, uh, we there were three different contestants, and one of the men was a man named Eric Musambani. And uh, he was from Equatorial Guinea. Now as the three people got up ready to, to race, when the, before the pistol went off, the other two had false starts. So Eric found himself racing alone. All he had to do was at the right time when the pistol went off, dive into the water, go down to the end, flip his turn and come back and he, will have, he would have won an Olympic race. The challenge for Eric was he'd only begun swimming months before. He'd only been training in a 20 meter pool. This was all very new for him. And when the pistol went off, Eric dove in the water. And by the time he got to the turn, it was very obvious this was going to be a struggle for him. He, he, he struggled through the turn. And as he came through the turn, he actually got to a place where he, he began to tread water. He stopped, he came up for air, and began to tread water in the, in the middle of the race. And it seemed obvious that at any moment he was going to give up and just reach out for one of the ropes and disqualify himself. But instead something happened. All the fans in the crowd rose to their feet and they began to cheer on Eric. They began to scream and cheer and holler for him. And Eric put his face back down in the water and struggled through those final meters, touched the wall, and won. And you can imagine what it was like when he got to the end and, and pulled out of the water and everyone wanted to know, like, what was going on? What happened? How did you make it? And his words were simply this. It was the cheering that kept me going. It was the cheering that kept me going. Who's cheering for you? Who's rooting for you? When you're treading water in life, when you're running on empty, when you're ready to give up and just grab the rope, who, what voices are there? Who, what friends are there? What people are there? to encourage you, to sacrifice for you, to pray for you? Have have you surrounded your life with other people? And are you surrounding other people? Are you cheering them on? See, the first Christians, one of the ways that they found their lives being filled again with the presence and power of God was choosing to be united together, joining together. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. They were devoted to being united. I love uh, what one author writes in his book. He says, I was sitting on a beach one summer day. I was watching two children, a boy and a girl, play in the sand. They're at work building an elaborate sandcastle at the water's edge with gates and towers and moats and internal passages. And just when they nearly finished the project, a giant wave came along and knocked it all down, reducing it to a heap of wet sand. He said, I expected the children to burst into tears, devastated by what had happened, or all their hard work, but they surprised me. Instead, they ran up the shore away from the water, laughing and holding hands, and they sat down to build another castle. He said, I realized that they had taught me an important lesson, that all the things in our lives, all the complicated structures we spend so much time and energy creating are built on sand. Sooner or later, the wave will come along and knock down what we've worked so hard to build up. When that happens, only the person who has somebody's hand to hold will be able to laugh. First Christians were committed to each other. They were devoted to being united. They were there for each other. They they cheered each other on. And it shows in this next devotion, we see that they were devoted to being generous. Notice the unique way in which their commitment to each other showed itself in generosity. Generosity. Generosity was was really what kind of made them stand apart from the rest of the world at that time. The early followers of Jesus were were radically different. They cared for people. They cared for the poor. They cared for the oppressed. And generous people have a, a, a mindset. And this comes with being teachable that it's not mine in the first place. It's God's. And God has entr- whatever I have, God has entrusted it to me. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. He, What I have, God has given me, and I have to manage it. I have to steward it well. And so they listen for the Spirit of God, and they see the unique needs in life, and they respond to it as God leads them. I love, there's a sense of, uh, with generous people, there's a sense of expectation and and, and anticipation that God's about to do something great. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's asked me to to share in this project. And they have this sense of anticipation. Maybe if you were here on on Easter, maybe you'll you'll remember this, that at the end of the service, as you were leaving, we invited you to take this, this little book home. Uh, this book came as a result of one of the people in our church uh, saying, hey, I have an idea. How would you feel about uh, giving one of these books to everyone who comes to our Easter services? It's a, it's a great book that captures the, the gospel. It captures what Jesus did on the cross. It's a short read, but it, it very quickly kind of tells, uh, it captures the, the beauty of what God does has done for us. And now six years ago, that would have been kind of an easy thing to do. You could have said, okay, that would be like, you know, 300 books. It's a lot, but it's only 300. This year we had to say, well, that would be like 1,500 books. And this woman said, no problem. I'll take care of it. And so the boxes came in and we had the books passed out. Now, one of the neat things that happened was this, that the week before Easter, we had a group go down to to Mexico to build a house down there. And while down there, there was a man who got to be a part of the the experience, who in, in essence got to watch... Christians be generous and see the unique way that that we 're different and and how we lived out how people were giving away their vacation and their their finances and and their time and their energy to bless a family and what happens at the end of our trip is uh, we have this wonderful experience. There's an exchange that goes on where we hand the keys, whether it's to a church building that we've built or to the the home to a family. And you have to know when a family has moved out of rubble into this, this new home with multiple rooms for them and their family, it's a moving experience. In fact, the only reason why you wouldn't be crying in that moment is that the, the tacos are on revenge in your stomach. I mean, there's, there's no reason not to just be totally taken emotionally by what, what's happening because it's, it's powerful, it's good, and it's right. And as this man was watching this experience, he simply described, I, I, my life has to be about something more. And he began to be open to this work of God in his life. He, he came on Easter to the Huntington Beach campus and he received this book at the end of the service and he went home and he read it. And he began to understand why it is we are the way we are. That the generosity of our lives is really a reflection of the generosity of Christ. And as he he read through this book, his heart was right. On the next Sunday, he raised his hand to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want this life to be my life. And it's very possible this guy will be the very first guy we baptized from the Huntington Beach campus that we just launched uh, two months ago. And so I went up to the woman who bought all the books and I said, I got to tell you a great story from what you did. And when I finished telling her, she just had this simple response. She She just simply said, well, that's why we bought them. Just great expectation that God was going to do something. And this is what generosity does. And this is why the people of God, were, they, were, they were devoted to each other. They were united. They were generous uh, with each other. And finally, we see that they were devoted to being worshipers. Really, this captures the whole essence of everything we see. Because everything they were becoming, everything they were doing, was a response to who God was and what God was doing. They were responding. They were taking themselves off the throne and rightly placing Jesus Christ on the throne of their life. They were becoming worshipers of God, not just worshiping in a service. Their whole life was being shaped by worship. In fact, you notice that, that even their fellowship, even their their times of coming together was marked by something. They would break bread and they would pass it and they would remind themselves why they were together. That they were there because Jesus had broken his body for them. And they pass a cup and they remember that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of their sins. That every time they came together, it was just even in the fun and the laughter. And everything was marked by worship. They understood their life now. Their life was not about themselves and their own glory anymore. Their lives were being lived for the glory of God. And they would, they would rise to the heights They're placing Christ in his rightful place. And when they place Christ in his rightful place in their lives, they realize all the other stuff in life seemed to kind of melt away and fade away. I love this story because I think it captures it in some ways. I was reading about a a pilot uh, around World War I, just before World War I. He wanted to attempt to fly around the globe. And so as he took off from the West Coast, he flew to the East Coast, he landed in this field, and he refueled his plane. And he was about to go four hours over the ocean until he would be able to land again. And so as his plane took off, he was about two hours in. And he began to hear this kind of scratching sound. And then this gnawing sound. And he kind of panicked. He realized that what had happened was was while his plane was landed in the pasture that a rat had crawled up inside his plane. It began to gnaw on the steering cable. And he realized that if it gnawed through the cable, he'd lose control of the plane and he'd plummet into the ocean. And so he had to think fast because he was two hours in. It was too far to turn back. It was too far to keep going. He had to do something to get through this. And so what he realized was this, is that rats are made to live on the ground, not in the sky. And so he pulled up the nose of his plane. He climbed to the heights. He climbed and climbed and climbed until he could hear no more scratching, no more gnawing. Then he leveled out the plane and continued to fly. He got to the other side. He landed the plane. He reached in. He pulled out the dead rat and threw it away. But in that picture, we began to—you kind of see a picture of something, don't you? That the rodents of our life aren't meant to live in the heights, and when we, we our life rises in worship. When we, we rise our lives up into the presence of God, worship in that place is where worry and anxiety and stress and fear seem to wither away. And those things that gnaw away at our lives, that empty our lives, those things can't live in that place. When you find yourself in a, in a place of, of, of right worship where, where you see who God is, and you know what he's done, and you know what he's going to do, All those other things seem to fade away. You trust and you know he's with you. And so as we look at these different unique ways of devotion of these first Christians, we want to think about our response this morning. And and I want to challenge you. Be devoted to the right things. Is your life running on empty are you wondering how do i continue to live in the presence and the power of god be devoted to the right things not so that you will earn his approval but because you've already discovered how devoted he is to you you've discovered that god in his devotion to you sent his one and only son for you that christ in his devotion for you Left heaven's glory, took on human flesh, became your servant, and gave his life on the cross for you. Don't be devoted to Christ so that he will somehow show you his devotion. Be devoted in response to his devotion. Apostle Paul says it this way. when He says, in light of the mercy of God and in view of God's grace, offer yourself... As a living sacrifice. Give yourself in full devotion to Christ. It's the only thing that really makes sense. When you see the devotion of Christ to you. The only thing that makes sense is to give your life back in devotion to him. It's where you'll find life. Abundant. Eternal. With God now and forever. As we saw last week. The people were. As they saw the devotion of of, of God to them. And the example of Christ and his devotion and what he'd done on the cross. The response is, what should we do? And Peter's response was, repent. Be baptized. Believe. Repent. Believe. Jesus said it this way, follow me. And the only way you can follow someone is to give up your way. And you have to believe. You have to trust. You actually have to move with that person. the Christian life is a life in which repentance and belief and faith come together as one. We give up our old life and we trust now in him. Some of you have never done that and I encourage you this morning. Respond in this way. Turn from your way. Turn to him. Put your trust, your faith in him. Walk with him and you will experience the forgiveness, the washing away of your sin, the filling of, of his spirit in your life. And those of us who know that and have experienced that, have encountered that, we know our sins are washed away. We know his spirit's in us. We know his spirit's actually leading us to to, to deeper devotion so that we can encounter more and more of his life. Repentance and faith is needed for us as well, isn't it? That we have to decide to give up the things that we're doing, whether it's a worldview thing or or whatever it is in our our life that's keeping us from the, the devoted life have to give that up and by faith and trust we have to we have to move from what we know to be true today we have to put into practice by tomorrow we have to start doing the thing that God's calling us to because he's saying come to me let me give you life and so let's bow together let's pray and let me invite you to, to look through that. Is there some way that the Spirit of God is speaking to you about your life and, and speaking to you about where you need to, to repent, to, to give up, to let go of a way you've been going and to embrace him by faith? Is there some, one of these ways of devotion, one of these places of devotion that, in, that you hear him saying, hey, trust me with this. Come with me in this way. Let's live this out together. Test me. See. You'll see. That's life-giving. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ before, I hope and pray that you see in some way the devotion that God has for you. That God in his devotion to you has sent his son. Jesus in his devotion to you has, has bore your sin. He has laid down his life on the cross. And he invites you into a life of salvation Of life now and forever with Him. And as you see His devotion, you have the opportunity this morning to devote your life to Him. To say to Him, Lord Jesus, today I repent. I choose to give up my way and I choose to put my faith in You. And I would just encourage you as people have been doing over these last months, each each week... Uh, people have just been saying, that's what I want. I want that life that, that, that God offers me. I want that life that Jesus made possible for me. I want to become his follower. And if that's what you want this morning, let me just encourage you as we, we in this moment of prayers, as we bow together, as each head is bowed and eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand up? It's just as a sign to say this morning, I want to commit my life to faith in Christ. Would you just raise your hand up just as a sign of your faith this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you see these that are just saying to you they need you. They want you. They want your life. Lord, would you uh, help them feel once again just the cleansing? Would you help them feel this new life that you offer them? Would you fill their life with your spirit as you promised and, and, and bless them with the joy of salvation? And for each of us, Lord, just in the quiet of this moment, help us realize our own unique ways to continue to walk with you in repentance and faith. Lead us in this quiet moment uh, that we might figure out how to give everything to you. Take a moment to pray and in just a moment we'll sing.